good, everyone? Welcome to Note to Scene, a weekly podcast that discusses all the latest news in the scene and a retrospective deep dive on the nostalgia we all grew up with. This week, we have news from Amir, Attila, I Prevail, and a deep dive on the scene's biggest songs of all time. So let's get started. Amir released a new song called Uncontrollable Descent. It comes from their new album, Hindsight, which is coming out on June 26th on Sharptone Records. There are some super bummer details about the album's release that we'll get to in a minute, but the song is just super solid Amir in their current form. Ever since the old lineup of the band jumped ship on Frankie and he got Josh Travis involved and moved from Victory to Sharptone, they've been firing on all cylinders. I was a big fan of their last album, Look at Yourself, and other people were too. They actually saw an increase in their first week sales career from it. Now they're introducing even some new production elements, like some over-the-top drum and bass moments, some ominous melodics, these massive guitar tones that just take over the whole mix, but in the best way possible, and honestly, a Frankie Palmieri that has shown a ton of maturity as a lyricist. The two singles they dropped before this one, Pig's Ear and Gypsy Disco, are absolute rippers, and they show Frankie in this dilapidated state of self-awareness. In Pig's Ear, he screams, I am failure personified. I know the reason I'm alive. The perfect example of what not to do with your life. Downward spiral, stuck in a path I can't escape, no happy endings, you can see that I am hellbent. And Gypsy Disco gets even darker, where he says, And so I sit and think about how all the shit went wrong in my life. I lament every choice, every breath, every step that I took into a legacy of fucking regret. My mission's done. Kill me now. My purpose lost. Kill me now. I can't take it. Please, God, kill me. I have nothing. We've seen a change in Frankie over the last few years, and honestly, he just grew up. We remember the ratchet Frankie who wrote lyrics like the ones in Drug Dealer Friend and was printing merch with fucking screenshots from Columbine that actually said shoot first, ask questions last, and I mean, with everything going on in the world today, it's hard to believe, but yeah, that really happened. He recently denounced all of this all of the past lyrics that he's written and you can see in the words of these new songs he doesn't like the person that he became uncontrollable descent is the most vague of the three singles in terms of lyrical themes but it fits the ominous sonics that it covers this song is a soundtrack to the end of the world essentially that's what it sounds like this vicious delivery and then absolutely nothing but eerie keys and radio silence at the end Amir are at their best right now, and and here's what's so upsetting about that. I noticed when I got the press release for this song and the album announcement that there weren't any pre-orders for it, and the press release said that physical copies won't be available until July 24th, nearly a whole month after the album's release, and what's even weirder about that is that I saw on Sharptone's Twitter that they said that they don't even have a date yet for the physical release of the album, which shows that the PR team and the label aren't even on the same page. But I reached out to their team asking for clarity on the situation because what this means is that streams and digital purchases are the only things that will count to the band's first week on this album. And it sucks, but Amir don't stream worth a shit. And digital purchases are obviously low in any situation. So all of this to say, Amir fucked on their first week for this album, completely fucked. Uh, To give some perspective, they did 7,000 first week in 2012 with Slave to the Game, and that was what seemed to be their peak at the time. The next album did 6,000 in 2014, so they dropped. 
But then they came out swinging hard with their last album, new label, new lineup, and Look at Yourself did 7,400 in 2017. So it's really hard to say what this album was gonna do, you know, if it wasn't for the virus, but we're at the point now that we don't know what the band had planned to promo it. Releases before this, we had things that were canceled, but we don't know what tour they were gonna be on, if they were gonna be headlining or supporting a bigger band what they were going to do to help move units for it but you may have noticed a couple weeks ago that the band launched a patreon account and this is why this entire album cycle just got fucked for them and they are bringing in absolutely no money so if you like these songs at all or just want to see amir exist in the future find a way to support this band now because they need it more than ever like their their future is in severe jeopardy right now and it is a super super shame to see because they're making the best music of their career right now i'm at an 8 out of 10 on uncontrollable descent i'm super super excited for this record moving on Attila released a new song called Cancelled, and holy shit, this is going to be a tough one to get through. So as far as I know, an album hasn't been announced yet, and this is just a Lucy, but wow, this was a shit show from the start. I knew they were dropping a song this past week, so I thought it was weird when it wasn't on their Spotify profile at midnight on Friday. When I woke up, the band had put it as their artist recommendation feature on their official profile, which is basically anyone with a Spotify account for a band can recommend either songs on their profile or songs from another profile. So this led to a completely different Attila profile with Cancelled as the only song on it. This killed any chance of the band getting it on any release radar playlists, which are the ones that are automatically generated for users based on who you follow and listen to on Spotify. They're just super important for low-level artists to create awareness for there's new stuff that they have coming out, and Attila didn't get any of that. So later on Friday, the song was properly added to their profile, but the damage was done. I mean, two days later, and it only has 18,000 streams, Amir's single, which was released on the same day at the same time, has more than double that and these are super small numbers in the grand scheme of the streaming world but it really puts into perspective how much of a hit Attila took because they fucked up now the song itself also a complete shit show it's literally diet Amir choppy riffs with fat tones and these sharp pinch harmonics and these ominous electronics in the background and layered vocals that honestly just try to emulate Frankie's but with all of it having a significantly lower production level. It really feels just like a great value Emir. And the lyrics, oh my god. Let me read these fantastic lines from Franz. Everything I see is red, everything I see is dead, bitch you know I need some head, better keep me fed, better make some bread before I spray this lead. Dude, what the fuck are you talking about? I know Attila isn't supposed to be taken seriously, but how fucking old are you? Like, it, you have to grow up at some point. This is ridiculous. At this point, Attila shouldn't exist in 2020, if this is what we're gonna get. If you want to hear a good version of this song, just listen to any of the new Amir songs that I talked about before. That band deserves it way more than fucking Franz and Attila do. Keep this shit in the trash where it belongs. I'm at a 4.5 out of 10 on Cancelled. Moving on to some quick news before we head into our deep dive this week. I Prevail released a new version of their song, DOA, with rapper Joyner Lucas. The original version of the track is from their latest album, Trauma. This one features Joyner, who is a rapper that is considered a bit of a cornball by a lot of hip-hop, kind of like Logic, but unlike Logic in most cases. 
Joyner can actually still rap his ass off. The song has a really important message, especially right now, and a music video to, to boot. I, I definitely recommend giving it your time, even if the sound isn't your thing. And if you want to check out more good Joyner moments, I added his song ADHD and his feature on Eminem's Lucky You, where he absolutely glides on that beat to uh, the Spotify playlist for the episode this week. So check them out. Let me know what you think. Jake Richardson wrote a feature for the website this week about 12 scene albums that should have been massive. He's got some great picks in there, like Enter Shikari's Common Dreads and from first to last self-titled album. Go check out the whole list at notetoscene.com. So on to this week's rock radio rundown. Falling in Reverse's Popular Monster continues to fall, but not as at a rapid pace as we usually see once a song falls from number one. Still at number four, same spot it was last week. It's down 11.2% in plays. This is We're just going to keep seeing this song fall off the charts. That's just the natural cycle. Once it reach, once a song reaches its peak, it just falls. That's just the, the nature of the game. That's, that's how things go. But it's going to be interesting to see how Ronnie and Falling and Epitaph follow this up because they have a number one now. It's time to get another one. So we'll see what Falling has in the canon right now. Asking Alexandria's Antisocial, still at number eight. It's up 5% in plays from last week. We'll see where this goes. I mean, it has been fluctuating a lot in the last week. I didn't do an episode last week because of the holiday, and it had dropped down to number 9, but now it's back up to number 8. So I, it was, it was kind of looking like it peaked, but we'll see. I, I'm not sure how much higher this one's going to get because it's competing with Ozzy, and right now, you know, at the end of this week, it's it's about 15 plays behind that, but it's got a big gap from Corn and Five Finger Death Punch that are at 6 and 5, so we'll see what happens in the coming weeks with that one. A Day to Remember, down from 14 to 15. It really looks like Resentment has hit its peak. It is also down 3.1% in plays. I wouldn't be surprised to see if this one either just stays at 15 to 16 range for the next couple weeks and then falls, or we see an immediate fall. Motionless and White, Another Life, also drops from 15 to 16. It is actually up 2.2% in plays, but I just don't see this one gaining a whole lot more momentum. It might climb, like it might pass a day to remember because that's falling at a more rapid pace, but I don't know if that one's actually going to break the top 10, which is a shame because at one point these songs both had a lot of momentum behind them, but it definitely looks like they're losing it. Then we got to go all the way down to 39, where Amity Affliction, Soak Me in Bleach is. It's down 2.3% in plays. I don't see this one climbing a whole lot. It's it's really just kind of the ones that, you know, Pure Noise, send it to Rock Radio. It's getting some plays. The fact that it's getting some plays is a win. Same thing to do with Fit for a King, Breaking a Mirror. It's down from 42 from 41 last week to 42 this week and it's down 9.3 percent in plays it's really only dropped 10 spins from the 107 it had last week to the 97 it had this week the further down in the chart you get the less it matters percentage wise as i've said before interesting though Right behind them, a band called Fame on Fire. Haven't talked about them on the show at all. They kind of got big by making, you know, scene and metalcore covers of hit songs. Basically like a diet our last night, but a little bit more interesting. I definitely recommend checking out their cover of Lil Uzi Vert's EXO Tour Life. That was the one that really catapulted them and got them in front of a lot of people. And honestly, it probably got them their deal at Hopeless. So they're, they're on Hopeless. They're releasing original stuff now. They have a song called Headspace. It jumped from 47 to 43. It's up 36.7% in plays. So it's up 22 spins from the week before. 
I'm gonna watch this. I've been keeping a slight eye on this band. I don't think the song, their original songs are strong enough to exist by themselves, but it is really, really interesting to see a new band starting to get some momentum on their own things. And it's not just a cover, you know, it, it, it is their own song. So we'll keep watching that one. It's on the playlist this week. Check it out if you haven't yet. Let me know what you think. 21 Pilots on Alt Radio, still number one. Basically, the plays overall are up 0.8%. They kind of broke even from last week. They are up so far ahead of the killer's caution right now. It's looking like they're going to stay number one for a while. Further down the alt radio list, we have All Time Low, Monsters, featuring Black Bear, which has jumped 10 spots from last week, from number 40 to number 30. This is really interesting and something I'm going to keep a close, close eye on. It's up 27.7% in plays. This is exactly what they needed and exactly what was the goal for this song. So we'll see if it keeps climbing. I mean, it's still way too early to see how far it's going to get, but it has momentum now, and that's what really matters. On top 40, we have the only scene song or peripheral scene song. I tweeted about 21 Pilots this week about being part of the scene, and a lot of people didn't like that, so I thought that was pretty interesting. But we have Level of Concern. It is starting to plummet off the top 40 chart. Last week it was at 24. Now it's at 31. It's down 45% in plays. It has definitely reached its peak, and it's not going to get anywhere further on top 40. Number one on alt radio, great. But they had that with Trench. They had that with a couple songs on that album. With Blurry Face, they were getting number ones on top 40, and they were streaming like crazy. They ain't streaming worth shit. I mean, they're not nowhere near the top 50 playlist on Spotify in the US, and they were when they first dropped the song. I mean, it was the initial shock. I talked about it on the show. The initial shock of the click being like, holy shit, new 21 Pilots. I think it debuted at number five on you know daily streams on Spotify. It fell right off that chart afterwards. People weren't going back to it, but the gatekeepers at radio felt a little differently about it. But I definitely think it's done on top 40. It'll stay at number one for a while on alt radio is what it's looking like. So, okay, on to our deep dive this week. The scene's biggest songs of all time. So before I get into it, there's a lot of foundation that needs to be laid here, just for context. So first off, this is based on the song's peak charting position on the Hot 100 chart. As I've said many times before on the show, the only two charts you need to pay attention to from Billboard are the Hot 100 and the Top 200. When I talk about rock radio, that is radio play, it's a different chart than Billboard. And honestly, like I've said before, that is the lowest rotation chart on radio as a whole, so it, it inherently matters the least on radio. But anyways, two main charts you need to focus on, the Hot 100 and the Top 200. When I talk about first week sales, I'm referencing the Top 200 chart, which measures the weekly performance of albums based on traditional and streaming equivalent units, and just this year, Billboard added video into it, finally. So the Hot 100 is a very different chart and a whole different game. This one calculates the weekly performance of single songs based on streams, both audio and video, and radio play, among a few other things as well. Now, just like the top 200, charting positions come with a lot of caveats to them, mainly who they're competing against. Is the chart's climate crowded? Makes it harder to climb? Is it light? makes it easier. So as with all stats, context needs to be taken into consideration, but the Hot 100 is the industry benchmark for what is a number one song. 
like like I said, when we talk about Falling in Reverse getting their first rock radio number one a few weeks ago for Popular Monster, that song isn't even on the Hot 100. It's not even close. You talk about Bring Me the Horizon, they've never had a song get on the Hot 100. That's how exclusive this chart is. This chart is for the biggest of the big. And as you'll see when we run down this list, the scene doesn't even get close to this level anymore. So I'm going to run down the list, starting with songs that peaked at number 10, go up through the only number one the scene ever had, and then give a few honorable mentions at the end. So starting with the songs from the scene that peaked at number 10, Paramore, Ain't It Fun, massive song for them. This is their highest charting single. They had a few also bubble, the only exception, Still Into You, both at number 24, and then they had Misery Business peak at number 26. So that gives you context of how massive the self-title cycle was for them. Also at number 10, Fall Out Boy, Centuries. This was their most recent song, I guess within the last decade, you could say, of the scene to break the top 10. And it was a massive song. It just proved how big their comeback tour was. And then, of course, Mania fucked all that shit up. Metro Station, Shake It a one-hit wonder, basically. They had another song, 17 Forever, make it to like 55. There's a whole episode we could do about Metro Station, how creepy that album fucking is, but Shake It, obviously the soundtrack to a lot of kids' summers back then. I remember watching that video, and my mom was going to Target that day, and I was like, I'll come with, and then buying that album because of that song. It was massive. So from my research, those are the only three top tens songs the scene ever had. Number nine, Fall Out Boy, Dance Dance. Obviously a massive scene classic. No words need to be said about that, but number nine is where it peaked. The All-American Rejects, Dirty Little Secret. The All-American Rejects are a fucking scene band and you can eat my ass if you don't think so. They played Warp Tour, they toured with scene bands. Yes, they got massive commercial success and they were on a major label, good for them. Back in the day, they were the fucking shit and they wrote a great record with Move Along obviously the best All-American Rejects album. 303, My First Kiss featuring Kesha peaked at number nine on the Hot 100. 303 were massive at one point, and we're gonna get into some even more 303 here in a second, but just to think about, I mean, they had songs with Kesha and Katy Perry, and it's interesting because the Katy Perry song didn't even get that high on the Hot 100. I believe it was in the 50s or 60s. I'd have to go back and check again, but I would have thought that one would have been way bigger than the Kesha song, but the Kesha song was a fucking hit, and it wasn't their only one. Moving on. Scene number eight on the Hot 100, Fall Out Boy, Sugar We're Going Down. As we continue to climb up this chart, you are going to see why Fall Out Boy is arguably the biggest band, biggest, most successful, however you want to frame it, to ever come out of the scene. I mean, they made the most out of their career. And unfortunately, you know, all good things must come to an end, especially with Mania. We'll see what happens with their next album cycle. It's inevitably going to be less. I mean, there's no way they come back and be big again. There's just, there's ageism that runs rampant in the music industry. Those guys are getting older. I hope they just start making music that they want to make at this point and not trying to make, you know, the fallout boy version of spotify core which was what you know mania started out to be but we'll see what happens with that sugar we're going down peaked at number eight on the hot 100 top 10 hit the all-american rejects again it ends tonight another fucking hit from move along like are you kidding me that album was so massive it's a classic i've been revisiting it so much over the last couple days as i was doing research for this episode 
oh my god those songs are incredible like the math behind them they made pop punk alternative whatever the hell you want to call it songs that were hits and it just shows the radio climate back in the day i mean because that was really what it came down to it was albums it was radio that was it there was no streaming involved super interesting moving on number seven hot 100 hits from the scene my chemical romance welcome to the black parade this was by far my chemical romance's biggest song and historically also obviously their biggest song but that peaked at number seven do you remember hearing this song on the radio all the time i do it takes me way back and it just it it shows how far the scene has got from its commercial peak in the mid 2000s also at number seven my chemical romance distant you know part of the emo trinity or whatever fans call it panic of the disco i write sins not tragedies number seven on their debut album like they were getting insane radio play you couldn't avoid this song at one point and it's crazy to think now this isn't even their biggest song which we'll get to in a bit but obviously a scene classic 303 don't trust me number seven on the hot 100 this was their biggest song doesn't have a feature holy shit and honestly the lyrics to this song how did we even let this thing be a thing i mean i couldn't believe standing on the last warp tour watching them headline one of the last warp tour sets i'll ever see and having this massive crowd screaming the lyrics to this song when if any new artist released it instantly canceled and canceled by the people who are screaming the lyrics in the crowd it's just different times and it's wild to think about cobra starships two biggest songs both peaked at number seven what are they good girls go bad obviously but it's actually not their biggest song historically you make me feel is cobra starships biggest song you can check it out on streams you can compare all the numbers you make me feel is two times platinum good girls go bad one time platinum both still peaked at number seven on the Hot 100, both absolute hits. And it's crazy to think about how big Cobra Starship were at the tail end of their career. I mean, that's when they started to catch on. We all think about, you know, fucking uh, Snakes on a Plane and all of that shit back in the day, but that wasn't even close to the commercial peak that they had. You know, when they broke out of the scene, that's when they were really raking in the money. And it's crazy that it just ended after that because even though they weren't part of the scene, they were the biggest they'd ever been. Number six, Hot 100 songs from the scene. Only got one. Blink-182, All the Small Things. This is by far the biggest Blink-182 song to ever chart on the Hot 100. It is by far their biggest song of all time. Moving on, number five, Jimmy Eat World, The Middle. This song was a hit and it was a fucking smash. Like to get to number five on the Hot 100, even back in the day when they, when all of this was going on, was a feat. And it just showed how big this song was. And it's so crazy to think about how Jimmy Eat World at one point was just dominating the airwaves. And that's what everyone was listening to was that song in the middle. But there's a reason why everyone knows the fucking words to it today. Number fours on the Hot 100 from the scene. Got quite a few of them here and a lot of interesting ones. Panic at the Disco, High Hopes, officially their biggest song ever. It's proof that Panic at the Disco are currently bigger than they have ever been. And that is absolutely insane. To anyone that grew up with Panic at the Disco, that doesn't make sense. They've changed their sound, it's only Brendan, blah, 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 all that fucking bullshit, elitist, emo forever mentality, 
Panic and the Disco are the biggest they've ever been right now, and you can fuck off if you don't like that. The All-American Rejects, biggest song ever, gives you hell. Smash hit. I mean, I remember going over to my aunt's house in Illinois, who isn't, you know, the most in tune with what kids are listening to or anything like that, but she loved this song and she knew all the words to it. And it's crazy to think about how vast the reach of these songs were, but it just shows how much power that this chart is reflective of because when you get a song inside the top five even the top 10 but if you get it inside the top five the reach that it is currently having at that point is immense like it's almost immeasurable but thankfully we do have a chart to explain it for us another song that peaked at number four from the scene gym class heroes cupid's chokehold Please, I hope that no one ever forgets how massive this band was. And the next song that also peaked at number four on the Hot 100, Gym Class Heroes, Stereo Hearts, which is unreal because they were the biggest they had ever been at their last album. That's ridiculous. You want to know what barely made it outside of the top 10 that almost was a top 10 hit? Gym Class Heroes, Ass Back Home, another song from their last album and you want another one number 25 gym class hero the fighter they had three songs break the top 25 on the hot 100 from their last album and then they just went away and it's such a shame because they were at the point where they were breaking out of the scene i mean they were were gym class heroes ever part of the scene yes obviously fueled by ramen fallout boy patrick stump all the cosigns from all the scene bands warp tour all of that stuff but they were to the point where they were having enough commercial success that they were breaking out of it and they were just going to be a pop you know a hip-hop based pop act and that's so cool and it just never happened and it's super unfortunate to top off the number fours from the scene travi mccoy billionaire featuring bruno mars yes this is from the scene because it's travi he was part of gym class heroes this song was like the fucking moon landing bruno mars performed part of it at the super bowl i cannot even begin to express to you how massive this song was but travi has three number fours on the hot 100 Think about that for a second. Surprisingly, I couldn't find a song from the scene that ever peaked at number three on the Hot 100. There just aren't any, as far as I know, and I dug as as far as I could for this. So moving on to number twos, and here's where it starts to get interesting. Fall Out Boy's biggest song ever. They almost got a number one. What is it? Number two, this ain't a scene, it's an arms race. I told a lot of people this when I was doing research for the show, and a lot of people didn't even believe me. But if you look back, the success that they had from the beginning of this cycle, I mean, thanks for the memories and, and all of the hype that it was like Fall Out Boy selling out, but the songs are actually still really good, and that whole cycle of delivering on music, but your core fan base doesn't really like it, but the, 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 the gatekeepers of the industry really like it. It, Infinity on High has the biggest first week of emo all time, and this is almost the biggest emo song of all time. Almost. But it's so crazy to think about. I mean, when you encapsulate everything that Fall Out Boy is, it, it, they're by far, by far the biggest band career-wise, all-encompassing from beginning to now, what they did, what they accomplished, the peaks that they hit, they're the biggest band to ever come out of our world hands down, and I will stand by that. Also, two number twos from 21 Pilots. They never got to number one, but two number twos. 
stressed out and heathens heathens was supposed to be the lead single from trench and it ended up just being a lucy that got you know caught up in all the suicide squad promo but it was the perfect song for them to re release and the numbers prove it i mean that song was a smash hit Obviously, we know how big Stressed Out was. By the time it had gotten to number two, everyone in the world was tired of it because it was literally everywhere we turned. But 21 Pilots at their peak because they are never going to get back here. This is not going to happen again. Like I talked about earlier with Level of Concern, this band can't stream. And it's crazy to think about, but I, when I say that they can't stream, obviously it's a lot different than when I say Amir can't stream. Amir can't stream where the shit. 21 Pilots can stream, they just cannot break the mainstream consciousness anymore. There is such a separation between what is successful on the Hot 100 and what are hits today and everything else in the world. I mean, we have seen the chart battles between Doja Cat, Megan Thee Stallion, 6ix9ine, Ariana Grande, and Justin Bieber. I mean, those are the artists you have to compete with today to get a number one. And there is just no one that will even come close from the scene again. And as we saw with Trench, it's over for 21 Pilots as far as, you know, top tier commercial success goes. They're gonna, when we're able to go back to shows, they're gonna sell out. They're gonna do massive numbers there. They're gonna obviously be able to be a band for a very, very long time, but they have passed their peak. Okay, if I had a drum roll setting, I would put it in right now, but drum roll because the only number one song to ever come out of the scene is Plain White Tee's Hey there, Delilah. This song was literally the moon landing. And it's crazy to go back and think about it because I remember family members, friends at school, people who had no idea what this world was, what all of us grew up with. They knew every word to this fucking song. It was absolutely inescapable. My mom knew every word to it. And honestly, it's a testament to the Ed Sheerans of the world, to the Adele's of the world. It's safe. It's cross-generational. My grandparents listen to this song. You can show it to your little cousins, you know, your little siblings. You can show it to your your big brothers, your your people who are older than you, you know? It's cross-generational. It's applicable to a, almost everyone who's who's ever, you know, had like a long lost love or, or, or there's some sort of relatability about this song that carries it to the masses. And there's something that needs to be said about that because you look at your Ed Sheerans and you look at your Adele's, my little cousin, my mom, my aunt, and my grandma, they all love Adele. They all love Adele. I mean, they all bought that last album. That's how it did 3.3 million first week and broke every record ever. That's never gonna happen again. You know, she won't even be able to do that. But there's something that needs to be said about cross-generational relatability, and that's what this song was. That's why it went number one, and that's why it's the biggest emo song of all time. And I know it's insane to think about, but that is the only emo number one. Okay. Moving on, before we wrap up, I want to do some honorable mentions. I went down, in doing research about this chart, I dug up some things that were super, super interesting to me. At number 70, we have We the Kings Check Yes Juliet. And I just want to say, we made that song 
feel like it was so much bigger than it actually was. I could not believe that it only got to number 70. And historically, it's not even their biggest song. It's like, we'll all be a dream with Selena Gomez or whatever was on their second album. I can't even remember. But this was their highest charting song. But historically, that other one was their biggest song. But this this was their commercial peak on the Hot 100. I couldn't believe that, especially when I found out this next little tidbit. Number 66, Damned If You Do, Damned If You Don't. By all-time low, off nothing personal. This is the only all-time low song to ever break the Hot 100, which wasn't even a single, or it wasn't even pushed as one in the scene. But that just shows the disconnect from the scene to the rest of the world. The rest of the world heard that song and they were like, oh, okay, in 2009, this is pretty good. You know, it got spins outside of the scene and that's where it got momentum. But that was just super, super interesting to me. Dashboard Confessional's biggest song, number 44, Stolen. That was it for them. I thought for sure they were going to have a higher moment than that. Good Charlotte's biggest moment came with Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous at number 20. That was their highest peaking song. Boys Like Girls, Two is Better Than One featuring Taylor Swift, actually their biggest song, not The Great Escape, despite what Emo Night would make you think. If you go to a wedding, a millennial wedding nowadays, you will hear this song. And it's kind of funny, but I didn't realize it up until a couple years ago, but this is the this is the scene's wedding song. And it transcended way beyond it. So they peaked at number 18 with that song. Love Drunk was actually their next highest peak, not The Great Escape at number 22. The Great Escape was at number 23. So they had almost top 10 hits. And, and I don't think it should be understated how big boys like girls were at their peak. The Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, Face Down, number 24. Inside the top 25. I mean, that first Red Jumpsuit Apparatus album is platinum. Massive, massive, massive record. I, I can't even understate it. I, it's crazy to think about how Your Guardian Angel, False Pretense, they didn't even chart on the Hot 100, which is really weird, but I think the label, I believe it was Capital or Virgin, I can't remember, gave all the push they could to face down. And I mean, it paid off in the end. They got a platinum album out of it. Simple Plan's song, Perfect, also at number 24. That's their highest charting song in the US. They actually did have a number one song in Canada. And when I was looking through the charts, I was like, oh my God, Simple Plan at number one, but they led with the Canada charts because they have more there. So a couple other tidbits before we wrap up. Yellow Card, Ocean Avenue, peaked at number 37. Hello Goodbye, Here in Your Arms, number 14. That is crazy to me. Hello Goodbye have a top 15 Hot 100 hit. I mean, that song was huge. Super, super interesting because that was literally the only moment Hello Goodbye had. And I, I have these vague memories of being in middle school and, and, you know, late elementary school, early middle school, where kids who were like, you know, the popular kids or what, whatever you want to call them, who were like actually listening to Hello Goodbye because of that song. And, and I just, I can't believe it. I, I still can't believe it to this day. But that is the official ranking of the biggest songs that ever came out of the scene based on Hot 100 chartings. And it's it's a crazy list and it's really, really cool to look back on, but it really does put in a perspective about where the scene headed into the new decade. Labels are able to milk album sales and make them appear much larger than they are. I have heard through many people from behind the scenes that of Mice and Men's biggest first week for Restoring Force was around 55, I believe, 55,000 copies. 
And I have heard from multiple people that about half of that was double counted. So they really actually only did 25,000, but you can double count through a lot of different things. And you can nowadays milk the Hot 100 in a lot of ways. I mean, if you see a remix get released, it's like Megan Thee Stallion just had a Hot 100 with her song Savage. And in order to bump it, or get it to number one, the label released a remix of it featuring Beyonce. That all counts to the one song. Beyonce also gets credited for having a number one because the remix helped get it there. But we saw a couple weeks ago when Doja Cat got a number one with her song Say So, she had a remix with Nicki Minaj. These two songs kind of went back and forth and battled a little bit. They both ended up getting to number one. But what was interesting was that Billboard had taken Nicki Minaj off the song credit on the Hot 100 after it had after it had dropped from number one because the remix apparently wasn't bringing in any real streams or helping it keep its momentum on the chart. So they took her name off of it. She still ultimately got credited with a number one, but they took her name off of it. So you will only see Doja Cat say so on the Hot 100 right now. But all of this to say, the Hot 100 is a very convoluted chart at this point. And in order to compete with the top 10 now, or any, you know, even break into it, you have to have streaming momentum. I mean, that is really where it goes. And the scene cannot stream. It doesn't matter if you're 21 Pilots, doesn't matter if you are any of the massive, you know, scene breakout bands that we've seen over the years, Paramore, Blink-182, Michael Romance, Fall Out Boy. Fall Out Boy maybe could. We've seen Panic do it. Those are the really only two exceptions over the last decade. No one else can get there because it's just on a different level than where the scene is at, at its lowest point that it's ever been currently. I mean, that that's the sad truth, is that the scene is just the smallest it's ever been. And it doesn't have foundations to build bands, catapult them to bigger levels. There's no stepping stones anymore. There's not a step ladder. There's no way for bands to gain momentum. And that's why we've really only seen like I Prevail over the last couple years actually get momentum from, from the scene because they figured out how to make memes work, how to get traction on Facebook, how to go viral and captivate a certain audience. And that's why they have a lot of middle America rock bros, like rock rock bros, the outside of the scene as their fan base, because that's the audience that they captivated on Facebook. You know, you have to do that. If you're if you're coming out of the scene, you have to get fans from outside of the scene at this point. It's the only way you're going to survive. And they did it better than any band that, you know, over the last five years or so that has come out of the scene has done it. And, and their numbers show it. So all of that to say, this was super fun to do. If you have other suggestions for me to run down as far as, you know, what was the biggest this, biggest albums, biggest songs, you know, certifications, platinum, gold, etc., etc., tweet at me, email me, hit me up in any way. I'd love to do more dives like this. But thank you so much for this listening this week. As I said, if you have any questions for the show, email me at notetoseen at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd very much appreciate it. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.